29 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast and we're joined today, a very special podcast, an Easter theme podcast. We're joined by a long time listener, but before I introduce him, uh, Darren Hill, you're on the road today, I believe. So how, how are you doing on this fine Good Friday? Yeah, I'm, I'm ooting a boot. Um, I need to go buy some alcohol and I'm about to break um, social. You're about to break social distancing, did you say, sorry? Correct. <laughs> Okay, we'll leave it at that. We won't we won't take that any further. What about uh, now? Our guest for today is a long time listener, uh, Cram, who we have uh, mentioned a number of times, and a, a, a long time, long time Golden State Warriors fan. So, how are you today, Cram? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm great. Good to be with you. I'm just annoyed that it's taken ninety episodes before you've invited me on. Uh, that's untrue. You were invited on and brushed us about <laughs> probably at least five or six times, uh, including, I believe, uh, during the NBA Finals uh, when, in Durant's first year. So uh, I, I do take great offence to that. Uh, but uh, outside of that, let, let's talk about the journey as a Warriors fan because we, we all know there's a lot of bandwagon jumper fans for the Golden State Warriors. But, uh, Cream, I know, having known you now uh, for the best part of what are, we, what are we moving on to now, 26 years, 27 years, uh, I know that you've been a long-time Golden State Warrior fan going back to the sort of uh, Mitch Richmond, uh, Chris Mullen, Tim Hardaway days. Talk us through the journey, though, of going from a team that was just perennial easy beats who had that infamous Bill Simmons article written about them and, and their history to being the number one team in the in the league for the last five years. Yeah, so I say this as I'm looking at my run TMC signed jersey in my in my hallway. Uh, so I started following the Warriors because everyone in Australia was following Chicago or the Lakers or the Knicks. So I found a player called Tim Hardaway that I loved, and I uh, started following the Warriors because it was something different. And we back in those days, and you'd remember this. As that you know, we used to get one game a week uh, or highlights of a game, and then NBA action. So we didn't see much. But I've always loved the Warriors. They stank. Uh, they had one good year in '93, and then traded their best player, Chris Webber, uh, which we never recovered from. We had a brief stint with We Believe in '06, '07, and that was a one-year flash. And then you know, basically, it all turned around in 2009. When we drafted Steph Curry and then the next year we drafted Clay Thompson, the big thing for us was when probably the worst owner in professional sport, well, probably second, James Dolan's the first, but Chris Cohen sold the team to uh, Joe Lacob and Peter Goober. And from then, they built a professional outfit and it's been just a remarkable turnaround as a Warriors fan. When did you realise it was something special? Was it in that Spurs series, which I know you and I sort of went back and forth on, and the Spurs ended up getting over them four two. But you could tell this this team's legit. Like that, they pushed the Spurs every step of the way, in that. and that that was a peak San Antonio season. That was twenty thirteen. Was that the moment when you thought, "Hang on, this this team might be for real"? The, the actual moment was when I got a text from you after the second game when Golden State won in San Antonio and you said to me, okay, this isn't funny anymore. <laughs> and I started, uh, you know, I was, I was watching the games, but then you just saw Curry became something else, but then Clay Thompson became, like, not only an elite player, but an elite defender. Uh, and then, you know, Bogut was, was playing well. Uh, you know, Green was coming on. 
um, and you could you, you were starting to see the makings of a great team. And that was the, that San Antonio series was right after they beat Denver. They were the sixth seed. Uh, they played and they beat Denver four two. Um, and you could start to see the makings of a really strong team. Bogut was a great defender. Harrison Barnes was playing well. Thankfully, David Lee was on the bench because he was a terrible defender, but you started to see a really full team. And then, thankfully, uh, they Mark Jackson became too divisive, so they got Steve Kerr, and that's when they became the, the elite team that they are now. And Daz, I'll throw to you now because I don't have any point of reference here because I've never, ever gone for a bad NBA team. So talk us through what it's like to go for a team that's really Jesus. terrible <laughs> to a team that's, that becomes contenders and, and, and the process that that takes. You might need a calendar to, you know, to measure how long it can take me to get through that, that story. But uh, um, what I will say, actually, what's interesting hearing the, the Dubs story is, right, as you would know, I was a massive, and still am in a way, I was a massive Phoenix Suns fan going way back to when I was a little kid. So I something loved about Walter Davis, who was drafted 19 bloody 77, right? So I loved that Suns team. And the Suns have actually had, you know, 20, 30 years of pretty competitive basketball. And so the dubs, I actually started watching, you know, I, I recognized the dubs, right, through the lens of a Phoenix Suns fan. And the dubs were the, they were the, the Cavs or the, they were the Knicks. They were the laughing stock, right? So um, it's, uh, that's what's so funny about they've almost been complete mirror opposites, right? Sons and sons and Dubs fans now, which is, you know, sons are probably down there. What one or three run franchises in the whole league. So I've gone from that as well, from that perspective and to watch them fall off a cliff with the wrong ownership group, meddling owners, um, getting in their own way. You know, when you bypass Luca to take a, you know, a local yokel, you know, you just sort of know that they're, you know, run by, you know, two bit ownership. So I've, I've gone through that that life cycle of, you know, everything from that 70s and 80s teams who could score tons of points, obviously, to, you know, to the Barkley and KJ and Dan Marley area, Dan Marley era, who had a pretty good run. They gave Jordan a good run through the seven seconds or less. And so, you know, Phoenix had a good 20, 30 years of really competitive ball, and they're just, they're just a joke. From the Bucks' perspective, it's just a – it's a complete – flash it was just literally turned overnight again because of ownership i couldn't i don't have enough time to chronicle even the pain and agony of of what happened with the in 2003 i think it was ultimately three four season when they when they um they cut bait on ray allen in his prime and got back 34 year old broken down angry gary payton to be george carl's pet Right. And I go, so I've lived through like literally franchise crippling f- uh, fan base, crippling trades that set your franchise back a decade like that deal. And so and nothing, basically nothing changed right from then until when Edens and Lazary, you know, bought the team in, gosh, was it 14, 15. And it even got worse. Right. The Bucks still then were a bit of a laughing stock. They fleeced the, you know, the, the taxpayers of Wisconsin. They were sycophants and picked their own coach and put Jason Kidd underneath John Hamm. And they literally engineered um, a completely broken organizational structure. They, they designed it, you know, into the system. And so it literally was, if it weren't for, for Giannis and Chris Middleton, right, becoming, you know, second round draft pick, nobody, Chris Middleton thrown into a Brandon Jennings trade. He was the throw in to acquire Brandon Jennings 
So get your head wrapped around that one. And of course, obviously Giannis drafted 15th. So it's been, it's almost still too new, Daz. I have no perspective other than I try to look at it. Oh, what was it like when LeBron was 25 years old and, you know, not getting over the hump is the starting to be the lens that we look at the Bucks and Giannis through. But I have that no perspective. Every, every regular season win by 32 points is still fun, right? So I'm still quite enjoying the, just, you know, in, enjoying the NBA through the lens of a team that's good. So it's still, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a noob, a noob at celebrating a, you know, a team who's win, can, can win 60 games. Well, you it's, need some luck. fun. You yeah. need some of luck course. though, don't you? I mean, that, that's, I think, the key for both of these. I mean, yeah, you get Draymond Green in the second round for Golden State. You know, Steph Curry, who had the injury issues earlier in his career, but that probably ended up being more of a blessing than a curse. Uh, because of the way his contract was then structured, which allowed them to get the uh, to get to get Kevin Durant on board, I want to focus with you though, Cram, specifically around that 2016 season, because that was the season that I'll always remember. I mean, what are your memories about that? And I know you you actually were lucky enough to see a couple of those games in person, particularly one I remember a Toronto Raptors game in Golden State. And you were there for part of the, that opening season where they uh, where they went. How many games did they win in the row to start the season? Was it 24? 20, 24. And who was the first mm. team to beat them, Daz? Do you remember that game? Michael Carter-Williams and O.J. <laughs> Mayo and Ersan Ilyasova. Yeah. 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 They, yeah. they made T-shirts out of it too. <laughs> if they, they did. That's all we had going for us, right? It's like, we'll take anything we could get. 24 and one. So yes. uh, what are your memories about that season, particularly the way it started, Cream? Well, I, I mean, I their starting five would basically put the game away by the 11th minute of the first quarter. They would eviscerate teams. They would come out and they would play five minutes with their starters and then they would bring in Green at centre, Harrison Barnes at power forward, Andre Iguodala, Curry and Thompson, and they would literally go on these runs of like 22 to 6. And I remember watching it where we'd be down by 10 in some games because they weren't concentrating, and then you'd you'd literally two minutes had gone and they'd hit four threes, had three turnovers and, and you know, and, and runaway fast-break baskets, and all of a sudden they were ahead. I mean, they just had this ability to go on these runs, which... I mean, I've, I've never seen. Um, and Curry, I think he was offended that people actually thought Harden was a better player than him in the, in the 2015 season. So he came out at the start of that season and you literally thought every shot was going in. I mean, I remember watching this game where he played in Charlotte, um, you know, his hometown, and every shot went, every shot thought you thought it was going in. It was just brilliant to watch. And he was on another level. And I've yet to see an MVP since then or before then reached that level where he was, I mean, he's the first first and only unanimous MVP. And there's a reason for it because he literally was unstoppable that entire season. Oh, he was, as soon as he walked in the gym, he was in rage in that season. Well, and... but, but, but also like this was the first time when you had um, people opening stadiums 90 minutes to two hours before the game just so people could watch Curry warm up, and I, 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 I did that in that Toronto game you talk about. We, a friend of my, a friend and I got there. We had really good seats, and we watched Curry warm up. And it, it's until you see it, you, 
until you see it live, you can't describe it. It is mesmerizing. The guy is just so talented, and that was it was the most amazing season I've seen from anybody. Um, sport by Game Seven and LeBron. <laughs> well, we'll get to, we'll get to that. Don't worry about that. But I remember my memories of the season. I'll throw this one to you, Daz. But my memories of the season are when Golden State would go down in these games because you're right, they started out by just blowing teams away, but then they got a little bit bored and they would play in fits and spurts. And I just would follow the scores. And once Golden State went down by double digits, it was must watch. And I used to message message over of you and say, they're down by 17 in Orlando, get ready for it. You know, or you'd hear, well, Clay Thompson's got 30 points to the half or something like that. We need to go and watch that. Like there were just must-see moments all the time with that team. And every time Steph Curry shot, you just thought the ball was going in particularly once they got on one of those runs. What are your memories of that season, Daz? I mean, as you look back, apart from the, the great victory the Bucks got to make them 24-1, and one, what, are, what are the other memories that you have of that 73-win season? Well, this is the contrast of the double Z and single Z, Daz, here. The, is the, it wasn't so much the outcomes for me, but it was how. It was a brand of basketball unseen. Unseen, like you didn't think you could invent reinvent the game but that's what it felt like for me who's been a fucking junkie right since i was at my first bloody you know fisher price nerf hoop where the little bell rang every time you made a you know a shot like it was a reinvention of game that's why it was impossible I, it was impossible to cheer against that team which is part of why i still always resent kevin durant for robbing us of this you know they look so beatable because these are not the biggest, they are not the fastest, they are not the strongest, they're not Magic and Jordan and LeBron, right? They're not Shaq and Kobe. These are, it's, you know, six foot seven dudes and what's, what's Steph, six three, buck 80, right? It's, it's how they did it. His style of play was absolute fucking poetry. It was the best version of art and science. That's what made that season so unbelievable. And it's actually that whole style of play before KD got there, it was... That was probably the most artistic, beautiful basketball, and probably still is, even there, I'd say, above my Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire sort of style, which was, um, my, my, at that point in my life, my favorite style of basketball I'd ever seen. So that, that's what I'll always, I'll never forget it. And so I, I even texted you last night, Daz. I sat down, I was watching Steph Curry fucking highlights yesterday. I'm like, because why not? Because it's unbelievable what he can do. So for me, it was all about how. It's just well, something unseen. My yeah, unseen. favorite, my favorite part of that team was their defense, particularly once they shifted Draymond. <laughs> of course, Green. it was. Well, well talk, my, my favorite part was how they set screens. No, what <laughs> what Draymond Green was able to do on defense <laughs> to be a to be yeah, a rim yeah. protector without blocking shots. I've never seen a guy that that influential playing the center position on the defensive end. I've, and I've never yeah. seen a guy yeah. read the game defensively uh, the way he did. And so that's and that and that's a great credit, I think, to Steve Kerr because when he got there, they were already people laughed when Mark Jackson said we're going to be the best defensive team in the league. People laughed at him, and within a couple of seasons, even with Steph Curry on the roster, who was a horrible defender at the time, uh, they were the best defensive team. And Steve Kerr didn't make the changes. The, the changes they needed to make was on the offensive end of the court because the ball just didn't move 
when Mark Jackson was there. I mean, did you notice that as well, Cram? When when Steve Kerr got there, immediately you could notice the difference on offense, but the defense maintained what it was able to, what it was still doing under Mark Jackson. Yeah, look, I think the big thing there was, I mean, you had two elite defenders in Bogut and and Draymond, and Clay Thompson was approaching elite as well, I think. Um, but the ball moved, and the you know you you were lucky that you had this convergence where you had all these players who didn't care who scored. They were quite happy to high-five someone else who scored. And Curry and Thompson, you often see them being completely unselfish and passing up an open shot to get a better open shot. Harrison Barnes fit in well. But the biggest... I, I still maintain the biggest trade slash get we ever made was getting Iguodala at the end of the 2013 season because he could literally do anything... Um, you could plug him in anywhere, and he didn't care about scoring. He, he, he once upon a time averaged, I think it was 18 points in Philadelphia. I think he averaged six with Golden State, but he was quite happy to be the distributor. And when you've got five unselfish players, unselfish players on the floor, it makes it really, really brilliant to watch. The other great thing from my memory was when it got down the stretch of the season and we knew they're going for 73 wins, and I take my hat off to them for going for 73 because I think a lot of teams would have said, oh, look, we don't really care. We're going to play the long game and not worry about records. And then you saw different guys sort of further down the roster, like Mo Spates and Leandro Barbosa and, and Livingston and these guys step up in, in big moments in the season and win some of those games. I mean, do you remember what it was like when they're going for those 73 wins and some of those close games that they had, particularly the Memphis one, which got them the, the record uh, towards the end of that season? Well, the game that sticks out the most is the game where they beat San Antonio in San Antonio because they had a horrible record against San Antonio prior, but they beat San Antonio to get win 72. Yep. And I, I mean, I, we, you could always, back in those days, you could pretty much bank a win against Memphis. Um, I think their best player back then was Matt Barnes, but you could always bank a win. But getting that win in San Antonio, I think that was 72. Well, and by the way, on that San Antonio, San Antonio were 40 and one at home that season. Yeah. So that yeah, was so not a, that was not a poor San Antonio team by any stretch. No, no. So, I mean, they got that victory um, and then they got 73, but um, I mean, it was just a phenomenal season. I mean, in, Going seventy-three and nine, where uh, you know you're literally expecting to win every game, was just a phenomenal turnaround. And then we went into the playoffs, and it was always. I think most people had it penciled in that it was going to be San Antonio Golden State in the Western Conference Finals because San Antonio won sixty-four games, and I think that was something like fifth or sixth best of all time. So you're talking about two historic regular season teams. But lying in the weeds was that OKC team. And I remember Santania got them in the second round, smashed them in game one, uh, lost in game two in controversial circumstances. But then as the, as the series went on, it became clear that OKC were the better team. And I remember you saying to me, I think the Spurs are gone. And I said to you, you want to hope the Spurs aren't gone because you don't want any part of this OKC team going in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, did you did you have any sort of fear or any sort of uh, concern when you're coming up against that OKC team in the Western Conference Finals? Well, San Antonio went 67 and 15, so they won 67, 67 games. Right. That's how that's how good they were. Um, 
and I, I feared Oklahoma City because every game was close and, you know, people will always remember that game in OKC in the regular season. I think it was in February where Curry hit a, I think it was a 35-footer, you know, with Mike Breen screaming bang to win the game. So the games were always close. What bothered me about OKC was their length. Um, and they could put out a lineup where, you know, Ibaka was playing centre. They had Durant, Robeson, Westbrook and... Uh, you know, whoever else was playing in that, but they had a lot of length and they could they could disrupt Golden State. And don't forget, and people forget this as well, Curry had just come back off a MCL sprain and he wasn't 100%. I mean, he played well, but he wasn't 100%. Um, but uh, at 3-1 down, I, I, I honestly believe we were gone. Um, but, you know, then Clay Thompson had a Clay Thompson game in that game six and... You know, we got through, but it, it took a lot of juice out of the tank. What are your memories of that, that playoff series, Daz? I mean, I know the Bucks uh, had a frisky six-game loss to Chicago in the first round, which you probably got fond memories of. But what about the uh, Golden State OKC series? Do you have any particular memories of that from 2016? Tons, right? That was the... Um, yeah, gosh. Uh, the, obviously, the clay going nuclear, which is what he was, OKC was up 20-ish, weren't they? And in early in the third, and then Clay hit, I don't know, nine threes in the second half, something like that, right? So that's that's indelible. Um, what that also saw, right, was the that's the beginning of the end when you saw, I saw, uh, you saw the my turn, your turn with Russ and Kevin Durant. Yeah. Um, I'm just... 10 for 31 and 10 for 27 in game six, they were, you know, Kevin Durant, 10 for 31, Russell Westbrook, 10 for 27. That is, that is my turn, your turn basketball. And I think what was interesting again, all about the style. And I love the contrast was that the, um, if you play the right way and play the modern way, which golden state was doing by reinventing the game, you allow yourself the, these, you know, statistical outliers to occur. And Clay Thompson represents a statistical outlier, right, all by himself. So for me, it was this the 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 style of the play, and probably I don't know how much it was. Now I'm looking back versus looking in real time, but I, there's some really indelible memories of Kevin Durant pointing and barking at Russ in that Game Six in particular. And so I don't even remember Game Seven. I know Game Seven was a really low scoring one. But I remember it was uh, just the barking that was going on. So you could see the beginning of the end there. I actually but, remember um, Game 7 pretty vividly in the sense that I remember they OKC started sharing the ball around a little bit more. And there was a particular moment where Andre Robeson had to hit a big shot in, at the crux of the game. And they sort of gave him the ball. And, they, and, he, and he obviously crapped himself and didn't want to take the shot. And it's like, you can't ask a guy to sit back and watch you play your turn, my turn, for the first six games. And then in game seven, say, oh, by the way, now we're going to stop doing that and you need to make some shots. So I think they had to sort of go live by the sword, die by the sword. And in the end, they died by by the way that they'd lived throughout the season. And that was the end of that, yeah. that OKC yeah. era, um, which, which was a was a shame but so let's let's move it so the next round going in so just, just before you go on i mean you've got to remember in that game seven uh you know coming into oracle uh steph's still banged up i mean from memory okay so he wasn't right was he? Steph he wasn't was, right 
Yeah. Uh, he was he was yeah. limping around and he was playing, I think it was about 32 minutes a game, 30 minutes a game. OKC actually went in with the lead at halftime. Uh, I think they were up like by five or six, but then Golden State absolutely blew them off the floor in the third quarter. And the game was actually over in the third quarter. Mm. They OKC couldn't hit a bucket and Golden State shared the ball. They scored. Curry hit a few shots. Uh, they got a few Draymond Green. Like, I mean, they were playing really well. And that's that's when, if you go back to that film, that's when you see Russ and KD barking. And I, that's when I honestly believe you could see K, K, KG going, I'm not, oh, sorry, KD coming out and going, I'm not coming back here. I've had enough of this. I can't get to another game seven with this guy. And he misses, you know, he misses shot after shot after shot. So that was a, I mean, that was a massive, massive game. But that was that third quarter they, and, that's the credit to Steve Kerr throughout his coaching tenure at Golden State. They always adjusted. They did gimmicky things like putting Bogut on Tony Allen, uh, benching Bogut and starting Draymond Green against Cleveland. He always was able, he, him and his coaching staff were always able to switch things up, change things on the fly, and, and it worked. Well, he even, even to the point where the year before he went to David Lee in the middle of the, the yeah. NBA Finals. And yep. David Lee, who hadn't played for for a couple of months at that point, and he came in and was actually a key player for them, uh, you know, in, when they were in a little bit of trouble in that particular series. So um, I thought that was quite interesting. I actually thought Kevin Durant would come back for at least one more year. I, I thought there was a chance he might go to the Spurs. Uh, I just could never have seen him going to the 73-win team after that. But did you feel the same, Daz? Did you think his time in OKC was done once that series was over? No, because I thought he was a grown-up. <laughs> I, I am. I will. I will die on that island of no elite, elite athlete does what he does, and I and I will. I will live and die by that. I've been really consistent about this. Is that that shows me a lack of courage? It shows me a lack of guts. It shows me. It shows me so many things, right? Mm. And I think I'll be honest. I I think I'm I and those who felt the same way, which is a, probably a fair number of people. All right, because what did he do? He won a couple of titles with Golden State, you know, you know, kind of yawning, but pretty, pretty easy. The only reason he didn't win the third one was catastrophic, freakish, freakish injuries, right? I mean, one in 10,000 chance of injuries, the only reason they didn't three-peat, right? So I kind of go, that just for me, just betrayed the spirit of competition. So say what you will about Jordan, say what you will about you know, um, um, whomever, pick your competitor, right? It's, you don't go and join the, the, the enemy, you know, you didn't go see Magic Johnson go play in Boston. Right? You didn't see Carl Malone try to move to Chicago. Uh, it just, it, for me, it betrayed the entire spirit of competition and the lack of courage that it showed. And I'll never, ever, 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 ever get over it or apologize for it or change my opinion of it. And he's Carl, Malone. Bloody... Carl Malone's probably not your best example there. Well, but you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm grappling. Where, where would you have seen, right? Um, you know, an elite, elite MVP level player yeah. go and join the one team that could beat him. I mean, uh, look, just... I, don't dis- I don't disagree. Yeah. With you. I, yeah. I mean, I, I'll revel in the fact that he came and I've got four of his jerseys and loved him being there. And and but I don't disagree with uh, you. No, I'm talking. You, the question was, did I see? Did you see Oklahoma City breaking up? No. Oh, yeah. And my answer was no because I thought he was a grown up and mm. a competitor, and it proved that he's not a competitor. What he is, he's a legacy maker. He's He got so in his head, and we don't realize how, I think he's so competitive with 
what LeBron is and what he is not. Like I see KD is like he's Mr. Mr. Social Media. Oh, I could be more like LeBron if I win a bunch of titles. So what's the easiest way to do it? Oh, I'll go win some titles over there. Now I'll be sh- I'll be showered in glory. Guess what? You're not. Because you know what? NBA people have eyes and you live in the late 20th, uh, 20th or the 21st century where we record every conversation. So we remember exactly what you did, when you did it, why you did it and how you did it. And we saw the lack of courage. We saw you take the easy way out. We did. Mm. And so I, I go, is he about, are we going to remember him more fondly for the two rings in Golden State? Like, I actually don't think so. I genuinely don't. We don't think Carl Malone and Charles Barkley are worse players they got beat by the guy slightly better. I don't think Carl Malone or Charles Barkley would be any more regaled for their titles. This is where Daz and I probably violently disagree over time. I go, I just desperately, desperately wanted Kevin Durant to dig deep, to find his competitive fire, um, to, I don't know, to reach ownership, to force, hell, force Westbrook out, make it your town, right? I go, do something that a leader, let an alpha, that an MVP would do MVPs don't go, oh, this is too hard. So anyway, sorry, you wound me up, Daz. Um, <laughs> no, I did, I did not see them. I did not see them because I thought that was such beautiful, con- again, contrast. I love the contrast. What go- OKC was, what was it, three for 17 from downtown in game six, whilst Clay went nuclear, right? Contrast, length, Andre Roberson, Cantor pounding inside, right? West or Russ doing his thing, I go versus this beautiful symphony, this ballerinas of three point, right? Um, Slash Brothers. I would desperate for that contrast to continue for years. And I think, I think the basketball world was robbed of actually better basketball had those two teams tried to actually be better versions of themselves rather than Katie completely put his thumb on the scale. But yeah. I think the, I think the basketball world is robbed. Of course, Cram. Of course, if KD came to the Bucks next, of course, yeah. it would be fun. So I don't begrudge the fun. I don't begrudge the beauty. I don't begrudge. I saw Kevin Durant pull up in LeBron's face in the finals in the later years. I I saw him play really well, you know, in the finals to win. I saw him play really well. But I go, yeah, that's what MVPs do. So yeah, I just I gave him point. right. So uh, that's where I fall on that one. Um, I don't begrudge him. Um, well, let's let's move forward to the NBA Finals in 2016, and this will be painful oh. for you, I'm sure, Cram. But I looked, I viewed this Cleveland team quite honestly as a bit of a joke. I thought they were the probably the fourth best team at, at best in the NBA that year. I thought the Spurs were better. I thought OKC were better, and I thought the Warriors were significantly mm. better. I did not mm. give them a prayer, to be honest. I thought. That it'll be a gentleman's sweep. I mean, I said it very confidently, 4-1. Uh, Golden State go in, win game four. So they win the first two at home pretty comfortably. Game three goes to Cleveland. Game four, uh, Golden State won a very good, one of the few good games that these two teams played across all the finals that they played against each other. And then Draymond, which I thought, and, and I mean, looking back, I thought it was a, unfair that he got, uh, suspended, to be honest. I thought he was goaded into it by LeBron. I thought LeBron made the most of it, carried on like a complete tool after it happened. What What were your thoughts when that happened, though, Graham? Were, were you thinking, oh, gee, we might be in a bit of trouble here? Or were you just like, ah, oh, look, we'll take care of business at Game 5, Draymond or no Draymond, uh, and, and this one's over? Uh, I, um... So, little side story. After Golden State won... Game four, 
I looked on my sports bet account and Cleveland were paying $201 to win the NBA finals. <laughs> and I looked at another friend of ours, Chris, and said, oh, we should just have some money as a joke. And he was like, no, it's over. And that was before we knew that Draymond Green was going to be suspended. But I honestly believe that we were going back to Oakland. Uh, you know, at the time we were $1.50 to $2.50 favourites to win that game and win the title. I thought it was over. There was no problem, and we got smoked, and Golden State looked scared. And then we went to Cleveland, and there's the infamous Curry moment where he threw his mouth guard, and we got beaten there. And then Game 7 was kind of a you know, a flip of a coin, and Daz and I watched it together, um, and uh, we were ahead at halftime, and then J.R. Smith came out and evened the scores, and then it was... I mean, that game finished, I think it was like 92-88. I mean, it was a low-scoring Terrible game. game. Terrible game. Terrible game. Shocking game. But I honestly believe we'd win but game tense. five. It was so tense. Was terrible. Yeah. Don't you agree, though? It was, I mean, talk about tension. So, yes, it was not a... It was, quote, not beautiful, but that was... It was the tension. The tension in that building. I was crying, literally crying from the stress, and I'm not a... Obviously, I'm not a Dubs fan. That was the most stressful. That was the most stressful game of my life. <laughs> really, honest to God, I think it was worse than the Bucks last year. That was something yeah. about that game. But it sorry, was, ex- it was ex- yeah. no, it was extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, my heart was broken, and yeah. uh, but uh, you know, these you know these things happen. Can um, I ask you? Can I ask you, Crammy? I'm curious because um, I've been obviously. And maybe you've been now sort of um, medicated by two more titles, but would you say is it is it better to lose a title? Because it felt like Cleveland took it away. Cleveland, right? They came in and LeBron was their worldly. They, like they, it's not like Golden State collapsed or had some weird two for forty-one, you know, Houston-like shooting streak. Mm. Is it is it as a fan? Do you come to grips better with it having just lost to the better team versus? something like last year, which is, you know, just got hurt. Like, does do the losses feel different or are they s- the same? I think like, last year feels different because, you know, if you, you know, you saw in game, I think it was game five. If we have Clay and KD healthy, we're, we're winning the title. I mean, it was just that quickly. I mean, we were beating them easy yeah. and Clay, yeah. then KD did his Achilles and we still won the game, but, you know, it was very different. So you can kind of, it's the excuse mindset. You can kind of say, well, we lost because of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, in 2016, we lost because Draymond Green was a complete dumbass and whacked LeBron in the nuts. Yeah. Um, and he was yeah. goaded into it and everything like that. But this is the NBA finals. You've got to keep you cool. So that's just, that was just dumb. Um, so you don't, you, I, I differentiate last year. I kind of console myself saying, well, injuries cost us the title. But 2016 just makes me angry when I think about it because I hate LeBron. And, you know, as much as I hate him, he was absolutely just unbelievable in that series. And and then Kyrie hits a shot. What's inconceivable to me is Golden State didn't score for the last four minutes 32. Or they didn't hit a field goal, I think, for the last four minutes 32. It was inconceivable to me that that team, against what wasn't a good defensive team in Cleveland, just Mm. could not hit a bucket. And I, and I think, looking back on the game, again, we say live by the sword, die by the sword. I think Golden State sort of fallen in love with the three. And rather than just get a couple of easy buckets, they just kept going, the next one's going to fall, the next one's going to fall. Of course, it didn't fall. And when they woke up, 
well, all of a sudden Cleveland are the champions. That's interesting because I'm just I happen to pull up the stats, right? So game five game five, the first one back in Cle- back in an Oracle was Kyrie and LeBron each went for forty one. They just went nuclear, right? So kind of go, okay, Golden State, take a punch in the chin. Game six for me is the fascinating one. If you just I don't remember game six, to be honest with you. I probably didn't believe there would be a game seven. Probably wasn't paying that close of attention, but Golden State was 15 for 39 from downtown in game six. 15 for 39 for, you know, if that's 38 and a half percent. I go, that's pretty bleeping good. This is the game minus Draymond, but they were 40% shooting overall, right? Harrison Barnes, 0 for 8, right? Um, Clay and Steph, 9 for 21 and 8 for 20, respectively, whilst LeBron, 16 for 27. Tristan Thompson didn't miss. 6 for 6 from the floor, and he had, you know, 16 rebounds. So I'm kind of going, I just look at the box score. It looks like, wow, the better team won, right? So granted, we don't know. You don't know if, if, if Draymond plays, if that turns out differently. But just the box score says, wow, that actually wasn't close. One team was pounding it and being really efficient. The other team just could do nothing. It also looks like, did, do you remember Golden State's defense suffering cram? That's because that that's what it would look like. Obviously, without dreams. I remember both the... of those. They came out looking like they were half asleep going state. It was just weird the first quarter and a half of both of those games. Like Cleveland just, just blew, switch, them off, huh? blew them yeah. off the court and they were just flat footed. Um, and I think they always thought, we've got game seven at home, Draymond's back in our back pocket. If we lose these two, we're not. They, there just wasn't that sense of urgency, I didn't feel, from Golden State in games five and six because they thought we're going to take care of business in game seven and, and we're just flat out better than this team. And what happened was you could sense Cleveland in games five and six. They started to believe because they looked like a team to me in those first four games that didn't believe they belonged there, didn't believe they could beat this team. And then in games mm. five and six, hang on, Kyrie's making some shots. You know, LeBron, well, LeBron's never going to lack for self-confidence, but, you know, Kevin Love sort of found his role within that team. Thompson was dominating inside. They started to get some belief that, hang on, this we, we actually can beat this team after all. Did you get the same sense, Cram, watching it from, I guess, from the Cleveland point of view? Well, I think momentum is everything. And once you get momentum, your confidence soars. And, mm. you know, the other thing as well is, you know, people forget, you know, when Bogut got injured in game five and I think he broke his leg or did he, I can't quite remember what the injury was. People knew that if you picked on Steph, you were going to just accidentally get hit in the face by Bogut's elbow or something would happen. And with him going, um, you lost 12 to 15 quality the living shit out of Steph. Um, and there was no enforcer. I mean, we had Festus Azeli, who, for very good reasons, is no longer in the league, and Arison Varage. So we had no proper proper player who could play 15 decent minutes, you know, and not get a massive minus, you know, the plus minus. Um, whereas Bogut could at least steady the ship. He would set a screen. And, I mean, when Bogut sets a screen, it's a screen. You, you, you know you've been hit. Whereas Kyrie could just get around and do anything. Tristan Thompson and would beat up Steph and we had no one who could counter it. And that was a massive loss for us. Plus Harrison Barnes, uh, he just disappeared. In that I remember that. And that's mm-hmm. the game where Harrison Barnes got scared. That's right. He freaked out, didn't he? 
Yeah, he, he just disappeared. Um, yeah. And, I mean, you've heard other commentators say Golden State couldn't find that fifth player. I mean, Steph, Clay, uh, Andre and Draymond were fine, but we couldn't find that fifth player. And all of a sudden, you know, you let Draymond shoot a three. And thankfully in game seven, he, was, he hit five, I think, threes. But that fifth player, they just let Harrison Barnes shoot whatever he want. And he, he was like me and Hill playing one-on-one at Darling Street. Well, you had to pick your poison, didn't you? And, and Cleveland picked Barnes and just said, we're just going to have to hope he misses. And luckily for them, they did miss. He did. I remember, my memory of that game seven is, I just could not accept that Cleveland were going to, to beat on state. It wasn't until, and even when Kyrie hit that shot, I was just expecting, all right, Steph's going to come down and hit the next three. It's going to be tight. Golden State's going to take care of business. It wasn't until Steph actually missed that shot that I finally dawned on me, holy shit, Cleveland's going to win this thing. I just couldn't get my head around. Because I, I will always say this, Golden State was so much better than that Cleveland team. And it just was the force of will of LeBron, hat tip to him, and just a confluence of, everything else that sort of fell into place. But I, I think if you play that series out 10 times, Golden State win at nine, and that was the one that, that Cleveland ended up ended up getting over the top of them. And I think, interestingly enough, I think if, if Kevin Durant doesn't go to Golden State, I think Cleveland go back-to-back because I think they were a much better team the year after um, and, and, and just ran into the buzzsaw in the NBA Finals, uh, for, unfortunately for them. Uh, one one question, and this is something that's always I've always been interested in, Graham. For you, would you give back the two titles that you won in twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen to have the twenty sixteen title in Golden State's no. hands? No, never, never. Because I, if we'd have won that two thousand and sixteen title, that was probably it. Um, but then you, uh, the, then you, inarguably, I think the best team ever if you win twenty sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Look, you're probably right, but uh, you know we're, we're in the conversation as being the best team ever. Anyway, there's always going to be a footnote. You didn't win the title, but watching—I mean, we got lucky with the cap spike and all that stuff. But we would not have got Kevin Durant if we win that title. That's my belief. I mean, others have a different view. We would not have got Kevin Durant. And being able to watch Curry and Durant, and I, I was lucky enough to watch them live twice. Curry, Durant, Thompson, Green, and Iguodala on the floor at the same time was absolutely amazing so no i wouldn't give it back because i don't think i don't think we win two more titles um i don't think we win two more titles with the core of that team if we don't get Durant, we re-sign harrison barnes and we probably keep bogut and harrison barnes is he's a good player but um he wasn't going to lead us to titles and no one's going to forget how he disappeared in those last three games of the 2016 finals. Does that surprise you, Daz? Because if it were me, and I mean, it's, it's hard for me to answer this question because I'm not actually walking in Cream's shoes as a Golden State fan, but I'd, I'd take the 2016 title. But is that just because we, did, we didn't value those 2017-2018 titles the way a Warriors fan would? Well, I think what I'm also hearing is there's a, there's a, there's a genuine hat tip to LeBron James, right, mm. in, that, in that season and... They Agreed. also were seventy-three and nine, and that that by itself, the, the and some stuff as always happened. Some stuff went wrong, right? I forgot that Bogut actually got hurt, and I was just relooking at the box scores where we were chatting, and it's it is shocking. Festus Azili actually started Game Seven, played sixteen 
Festus Azili started a game seven of the NBA Finals. Right? Jesus, Jesus. Where, where, right? where, where was Mo Buckets? How many minutes did he play in the? He's, he didn't play at all because remember he can't defend his shadow. So, um, well, he actually he played, but he actually he missed the final shot of the game. Oh, you do. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh my God. Yeah. So, um, I I I don't have an opinion other than I just think what I'm hearing there's a hat tip to LeBron. And his 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 fortitude and um, again credit. I you see looking at the box scores again. You credit. Did you remember that um, Steph actually followed out of Game Seven, or was yeah. it Game Six? No, he game followed six. out. Game Six, was, he followed out. Right. They, that, that, was the, right. that was the infamous uh, mouth mouth yeah, guard. The mouth guard game, right? That's yeah. right. That's Game Six, right? So like you like you were just saying, Crammy. So you could tell that you know um, they were attacking. Right. They were attacking him. Um, you know, obviously perhaps without Bogut, you know, with the guy behind him. So. No, I mean uh, every fan's gonna have their own, right? You ask Cleaver, right? If you you know, if you could trade one now for you know, I don't know what we trade it for, but I think every every title is probably precious in their own right. So yeah, give me two two is more than one. So it, yeah, um, but yeah. You know, I, ask, ask I a fan like me of a suffering franchise. I go any any title would probably wash away the next decade of, of you know despair in a way. So it it, it buys you a lot of. <laughs> we'll hold on to the good memories a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's interesting. I mean I look at it from a Spurs point of view, I suppose. And would I would I take the 2013 title, but you don't get experience 2014? And I think I'd take the 2013-14 back to back anyway, to be honest. So maybe if you put it in that in that context, it does make sense. We now we we mentioned Cleaver. I, I can guarantee you he. He's not feeling as good about his the current state of the Cleveland Cavaliers as what Cream is uh, about the Warriors. How how are you feeling about the Warriors uh, at the moment, Cream? Because I'm very bullish about where the Warriors sit at the moment, but I'm interested in your thoughts. Oh look, I'm bullish only because I think they are well placed contractually. While ever you've got that backcourt fit and healthy, you'll contend anyway. The draft pick this year, people are making you you know, big deal about the draft being not that good. That's totally fine. The big prize that they've got is Minnesota's draft pick next year. So instead of wallowing in their own self-pity when they lost Durant, they got an asset and they were able to trade that asset for um, uh, second round, first round and second round picks. And don't forget, they filled out their roster last year with... Um, you know, Glenn Robinson and Al Burks and then traded them and got more picks. So they have now recovered all of the assets they traded away over the previous year. So they've got assets that they can compete, you know, dare I say, Darren, for a um, potential Giannis trade or or a potential uh, another trade. They've got assets. So they, they should be bullish. They're well run and they've got a brand new stadium that will print money post the coronavirus. So they've, they're in a... They're in the they're a top five franchise in terms of the way they run, in terms of their runs they they've got in the future. Well, Daz, let me put it to you then. Wiggins and Green and two first rounders for Giannis. Who says no? That's cute. So so that that's a, that's obviously not a million miles away from, from value, but um but I think we were we were saying yesterday and just offline was that uh, no joke. If Giannis decides to leave, right, I do believe he will go play in a very, 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 very few places, and it's not going to be to New York to do 
Kevin Durante things to fill out his, you know, his resume. It, you know, it's not going to be anything like that. It's not going because he likes the city. Um, it's going to be to join with his African brothers, you know, with Pascal Siakam and Joel Embiid. It's not going to happen. It's going to be to play with 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 selflessness, and and that's why I genuinely believe it's a it's a very very tiny list of players, and that Steph Curry is on that list. Dame Lillard would be on that list, and I would struggle to think of a third. I really genuinely struggle to think about the ultimate perfect complement to Giannis, right? Is someone like Dame and, and Steph who can pull the defense out to 35 feet? And surprise, surprise, guess what Giannis can do with the ball in his hands, right, when he got that much space. So no lie, if he decides to leave, I hope he does play with, with Steph and or, or Dame. But again, you're talking trade value of an MVP before he's even in his prime. You'd have to start with Clay and Draymond. You'd have to start there. Like that's the beginning. If they go get a Steph Curry Giannis team, Crammy, you tell me differently. Give away, get rid of Clay and Draymond and your picks. You do it right. Clay post ACL, Draymond getting older. You, I'm sure you would do it right. Uh, you, or are you, you that sort it. of? You do you, it in a heartbeat, right? Yeah. You would do it in a heartbeat, but yeah, that's like, what I thought. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, if you said to me, okay, it's Giannis for Draymond, Clay, and some draft picks, you'd go, yeah, for sure. I, I, but in all honesty, I can never see him say letting go of Clay. He's the most low maintenance, really, 22 okay. point scorer. And, you know, fascinating yeah. question for another time is if you were starting a team thinking offense and defense, Harden or Clay Thompson. Because um, of his defense, Golden State would always say Clay Thompson because he guards the best, best guard of every team every time and does a great job. So I could never see Golden State letting go of Clay Thompson. Oh, I think no kidding. I think too. Here's the reality: the only way Yarns is getting traded is if he goes to the Bucks and says, "I'm definitely leaving. I'm not." And I think this will happen at the end of next season, uh, and and it's a sign and trade type thing where you we, we, like with KD where they go, well look, Yas is leaving, but let's make sure we don't. It'll be AD. It'll be more AD like really because he's going to need that level of asset, right? He's to be younger, younger than AD, more much more accomplished than AD. And like that's the level we're talking about. You're talking well, I multiple think though, young players I, I, I and multiple picks. It'll yeah. only be because he's leaving anyway. And it's like, he can leave for nothing, okay. there, or you can get something back. Because um, I, I just can't see, Giannis is not the sort of guy that's going to say midway through next season, I'm leaving. So I think well, He's also, again, I, in the national media doesn't understand. It just doesn't understand like this is a kid who could barely speak language when he was drafted. He literally, right? You know, if this was in a different city, in a different context, you watch an MVP and the team goes and signs his brother to a two-year guaranteed contract, you go, okay, what the fuck? But I mean, this sort of stuff, like he is the city. He is the franchise. He's got a brilliant relationship. His entire family, right? His mom lives in Milwaukee. He's now got a kid. Like he's, he's just wired differently. He's not wired for... He's wired to be one of the top 10 players of all time. That's what he's wired for. So as long as that continues to happen, right, he's not going to leave. I truly believe he is more likely to be a Dame Lillard and win 53 games every year as long as they're winning and competitive. I truly believe that. He's not going to go, oh, my gosh, I need to legacy make and, you know, force his way out. He just is just not in him. I think if – if he'd have suffered another Eastern Conference semifinals loss, he might have been more minded to leave. Hey, look, hey, look, to, okay, that's a good, good point. 
if how they lose, right, yeah. is that Chris Middleton falls off a cliff and he gets yeah. or he gets fat or he tears a knee or and he's having to do what LeBron had to do everything. If he's having to do, you know, 30, 10, 10 every night just to stay competitive, he's not going to enjoy that. I, but I go, that's where I think it's it's highly unlikely because Bud's system doesn't build for that. He plays 31 goddamn minutes a game as it is on a team with a plus 12 net rating. He yeah. barely plays, right? I go, they're, they're so everything is so perfectly fine-tuned to maximize his output and minimize his effort, literally including having his brother on the roster paid a guaranteed roster spot. <laughs> is a It would have to be something so extraordinary. It would have to be so extraordinary for him to, to actually leave. I mean, but I think again, it would be basketball. I'll entertain if. Why he yeah. would leave. I think yeah. it would be basketball. I, I, under the if, I go, absolutely. There, if you asked who is the single and single player to best compliment Giannis, the answer is Steph. Absolutely. It's not LeBron. It's not Luca. It's not Zion. It's not Embiid. It's not, it's not anybody. He is the single perfect compliment to what Giannis could do. And I go, what? <laughs> Honest to God, part of me wouldn't mind seeing it. I, Cause I, I, you know, I'll probably die young, you know, live hard. And I go, I'd, I'd rather see perfect basketball than to hold on to Giannis for 14 years and have us win 52 fucking games. I'll be honest. I actually, I think that highly of this guy. I, I would rather him be happy if we physically can't do it and just can't get over the hump or we get cap strapped or Middleton shreds a, a knee and it's just not going to happen. I'm like, go, please go be happy and show me beautiful basketball with Dame or Steph. Yeah. Well, I, truly, well, I truly believe it. I truly believe it. Well, call yep. me old fashioned. I'd love to see him get, get under the tutelage of a really great coach like Greg Popovich and really mm. refine Jesus. that low-post game. Jesus. <laughs> Him and LMA could do some damage. That's yeah. right. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah. You could have LMA on the left block <laughs> and Jones on the right block. Must watch NBA. Yeah, uh, and, and you can purdle from the elbow. Well, <laughs> Purdle's a bit of a rim runner. He's a rim runner. He's, He's a rim right. runner. Now, Cream. He's a rim question. job. Last question I have for you. What's the, what's, what's the ceiling of this Golden State team as it's, as it's constructed now? I would still have them penciled in as a, as a contender when the NBA comes back for 2021, assuming 2020 is done. What's the ceiling for this team in your mind? Well, Goes back to my previous comment. Ownerships has given them options, right? They're going to have a top, probably top three pick in there, whether it's underwhelming draft or not. There's 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 four players in this draft. They'll get one of them. It gives them options. Steph is 32. Clay is 30. Draymond's I think 30. He's just turned 30. Uh, they've got Pascal, Jordan Poole. They've found rotation players that are young. And can contribute. Marquise Chris has been good. They've got options. They are a Western Conference Finals contender. And once you're in the top four to eight of the NBA, you are a chance. And Steph fully fit, rested next year, is still a top five NBA player. And their ceiling is as high as the championship, but you need luck and you need things to go your way. And I think they're, they're right there. I honestly do. Well, one thing they'll need is the season not to be called off. So, Daz, what, what's your feeling now? You've been probably closer to this than 
myself and Cram have, we're sort of more looking forward to the lottery than the NBA playoffs uh, when the season was called off. But what's your sort of sense now? Is it a bit of a serenity now moment for you when you, you look at whether the NBA season will come back or not? Oh, yeah, I'm already there. I've, I'm, I mean, I'm, you read the data, you read the, look at the modeling, and, um, you know, the minute we, especially in America, right, we, you know, those of us in Australia, I think we probably will never suffer the extremes the way America will. But I think that the, the gargantuan and growing fear is that as, um, quote, the curve flattens, end quote, um, all the social distancing and good behavior start relaxing and you'll see another spike back in it. And I think that goes weighs heavily in the minds, right? NBA is quite an analytics community. That's not just a, right? it's not a, that's not the NFL who's all about just, um, you know, politics and, uh, and obviously NBA also very, very socially and socially aware and giving players platforms to speak. I truly believe that the, the, the scenario whereby if the NBA takes a risk and tries to do something like quarantine us all in Vegas or on a cruise ship or in the Bahamas or whatever um, to be able to play some games and then something happens is actually a far worse outcome and a risk Adam Silver couldn't and shouldn't take, even if it means trying to salvage a, a couple extra percentage points on, on revenue and therefore then the salary cap. Um, not to mention the fact that the players and the players union are going to have a lot to say about one, they've all been basically sedentary for the last month and will be no doubt for multiple months. You know, number two, what's the player safety like, even in the conditions, but whereby play begin again. And then three, what's, you know, what's their desire? Like, what's the motivation level? These are humans as well as basketball players. Like, do they really want to go through this? Do they really actually want to try and, and do this? I reckon there'll be some who say, Let's do it for not just because of the, the competitive fire to, to finish something, but also, right, to give their entertainers, they're on television. These are massive celebrities trying to actually bring some joy back to kind of a, you know, a bit of a godless life in America at the moment. So that's that's what's kind of going through my head and probably the variables. But I, I'm I with would probably nine, 80 plus percent certainty say there will not be a result to this season. They're just I just don't see a result. I don't see how. So it sucks. Yeah. yeah. It really I, sucks, but I get the same. Pandemic, you know? Yeah, well, I get I get the same sense. I think they're they're going to play safe, and it is going to be. And I, and I think what we said in our last pod is probably going to hold that most teams are going to look at this as this is now a two year run. How we set up for twenty twenty is probably how we're going to go into twenty twenty one. The really, really, really tricky conversation, right? Is Right, you've got massive salary cap implications with this, right? If revenue drops to certain levels, you've got potentially material changes to the salary cap five, six, seven, eight million dollars off the cap, mm-hmm. potentially. If you start carving into obviously all the massive revenue of the playoffs is already gone, you start carving into the regular season and shrinking that, shrinking that season. And now you're talking about two years mm-hmm. where the cap. And the revenue is 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 down. That's that's the hard thing. It, that's, but, that's, but I, I, yeah. It's not it's not six or seven million. It's thirty million. I mean, the numbers are that drastic. I mean, the revenue will be down so much because of TV companies not paying and 
uh, revenue not coming in from the playoffs. I mean, it's zero not merch. six or seven. Yep, zero tickets. It's zero, well, it's six or seven per minutes. team. Yeah, well, they've, well, they played 75% of this season, right? So they, so that's, you know, they got 75% of the, probably about 60% of the income. Obviously, yeah. playoffs are quite lucrative. But that being said, the first two rounds of the playoffs still aren't very lucrative, right? The first round of the playoffs, not lucrative at all. It's only for the local the local revenue there, yeah. right? So but the Western, first rounds, yeah. the Eastern and Western, Western Conference playoffs and the NBA Finals. I mean, that is yeah, that's twenty seven percent of the NBA's revenue. And if they're not played, I mean, is. this is that's right. This is yeah. this is where the, this is where Adam Silver can use his discretion and just say, okay, we're going to freeze the salary cap. So uh, the salary cap just yeah. stays the same, and there'll be no pluses yeah. or minuses, and you can go through the next year. But I mean, if they if they stick to the current rules, I mean, that's that's dramatic. I mean, that's 25 to 30. Yeah, and, and this gets country. into a whole different, if we wanted to have probably a separate pod around now the business of the NBA and what's the business side and what are owners thinking and how do they act with some some sense of consolidar- um, solidarity and but also self-interest when you have the, the Joe Harris's and the Tillman Fertitta's uh, and the Glenn Taylor's of the world who want to right, save every penny and save every dollar and right, and they can have very different set of interests than you know the Lacobes or the Balmers or the you know a team like you know as Lazarine Edens and the Bucks who've got this unique, unique, tiny window to win a title, right? Mm-hmm. You can have very, very, very competing interests here, right? Where the Philadelphia 76ers are probably the only team asking for fucking pay cuts from their staff. So I kind of go, you got real significant, you know, uh, commercial conversations that need to be all put through the collective bargaining framework as well, right? Because nothing can be done, obviously, unilaterally when it relates to salary cap and, and therefore the employer salaries. So it's complicated. It's hard. It changes all the time. But I'm back to the original question. I am 100% emotionally resigned to the fact that it's very, 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 very unlikely we'll see a, uh, any sort of result. And I go, what would it feel like anyway? Like, imagine they start playing in june like it's just not gonna be the same it isn't you know mm-hmm. you know shrunken series and i go do i want to see like a kind of an out of fit you know an out of shape you know i don't know out of shape kyle, kyle lowry and fred van vliet kind of fattened donutting their way around the, the court while you know Giannis, you know dunks on it's it's not gonna feel the same and you're gonna feel for the guy like i genuinely believe it wouldn't feel the same anyway, even if he did restart it. Uh, so the only way- I, I watched game five of the 99 finals yesterday. It feels just as good. Don't worry about that. Yeah, we're wired differently, Daz. Again, I'm, I'm, you know, I want the, I'm the human interest story here, man. <laughs> we okay. start the human fund. Yeah. Well, the anyway, last point I'm uh, out, yeah. I think Philadelphia won't be the last team to be asking their staff to take a pay cut. I can assure you of that. Uh, when all said and done on this, uh, I'd be stunned if they were the only ones. So, but look, look, we will be watching it closely. I, I thank you both, gentlemen, for your time today. Uh, taking time away on Good Friday, we're not doing a hell of a lot else, sadly, at this time. But uh, it, w- it was good to talk. We've been meaning to do this for a while, Graham, and now that we'll we'll have you on again when uh, Wiggins is going for his MVP season next year. Full Milwaukee, yeah. <laughs> Oh, well played, sir. It's been a lot of good to talk to you. Thanks, boys. See See you, boys. Bye.